I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There was no pain. It was just, it wasn't right. It was prejudice. It, it was really unfair and really just, they knew that they were going to die. And that's what I was getting was just this horrible sense of, yes, but it's not right. <laughs> You're listening to The Ghost Files, the podcast where everyday people share their extraordinary experiences of the spirit world. My name is Karina Machado. I'm a journalist and the author of Spirit Sisters, as well as other books full of true stories of the paranormal. Now, through my podcasts, Spirit Sisters and The Ghost Files, I have the chance to share these amazing experiences with you in a new way. If you love what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate and review the show. This week, I'm speaking with Susan Billsbury, who has a chilling story to share about a series of strange events on a farm she and her fiancé had bought as their first home. Susan is one of ten siblings who grew up on the New South Wales north coast, and I first came to know of Susan's story through her sister, Leanne, who wrote to tell me about how my podcasts have opened the way for the sisters to finally discuss the paranormal encounters all of them had growing up, but never spoke of. Now they share them openly with each other, kind of spirit sisters, which I'm so happy to know. Here's Susan to tell us all about the haunting on her farm. Hi, Susan. Welcome to The Ghost Files. Hi, Karina. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you. Please share a little bit about who you are and your life today. Okay. So we're living in a little town called Mwollomba in um, northern New South Wales, and I have my husband and I, we have two boys, seven and five and a half, so pretty busy yeah (laughs) life's life's pretty good too so that's great and Susan like many of my guests you have been experiencing paranormal phenomena for as long as you can remember and you yeah and you were very little when you began seeing apparitions and having vivid dreams of what may or may not have been a past life now could you please tell us about these early experiences sure so the dreams in particular probably for a young child were pretty full on so it basically started just as I could see myself in the dream and I was sort of seeing it from three different feeling it from one perspective seeing myself crouched down and also me physically in the dream and I was seeing a person being hung being strung up on like an a-frame kind of swing set I was feeling what the person the victim was experiencing and also as an onlooker feeling that overwhelming sense of sadness and scared and just that it wasn't right. And that's so unusual that you had sort of the triple perspective. So you were you were the victim, you were the onlooker, and you were also seeing the whole thing as well. Mm. That's really mm. fascinating. And what is your sense of what this dream was, whether it was perhaps a past life of yours? What do you feel about it? Now, um, yeah. I, th- I think it was a past life, definitely. But as a child, it was just a really horrible dream that I had that would, you know, I had it probably two or three times after that, that it just kept coming back and that was 
just a really horrible nightmare that I, I thought I was having. How old were you when you were having that dream? I had it probably, I think, maybe about nine um, and then again at probably around 13 and then again maybe at around 15, I want to say. Okay. And mm. do you have any sense of who the person was that was being murdered and what sort of setting this was, whether it was Australia and what sort of era? Um, no, <laughs> because as, as I was saying, it, it probably in Australia, it wasn't a very, very long time ago. It just seemed like it was happening in the now at that time. So, right. you know, in the 90s, I guess, early 90s would have been the first time I had it. Okay, so you didn't get a sense of sort of historical clothing or anything like that. No, mm. no. Makes it even more intriguing, doesn't it? Mm, I know. It's just, yeah, really confusing, I suppose, in sense of trying to work out what all the different bits mean in it. Mm. And I remember asking you this earlier, you didn't really get a sense of who the person was. You couldn't see them, their physical features, could you? No, no. I just knew that the, the feelings that I were feeling in the dream, I was experiencing the person being hung what they were feeling. Their pain um, as well as their um, emotional? Um, no, there was no pain. It was just, it wasn't right. It was prejudice. It it was really unfair and really just, they knew that they were going to die. And that's what I was getting was just this horrible sense of, yes, but it's not right. I'm not, It's that's not right. <laughs> wow. Mm. So do you feel that there was a racial implication here? I don't know necessarily that it was racial, but there was definitely some kind of prejudice mm. that they had been victimised for something that they weren't actually guilty of, I suppose. Wow. Well, that is quite an enigma, that experience. And we probably could, you know, try to unravel it for the whole mm. episode, but <laughs> we better move on to some of the other experiences you've had. Now, as a child, that wasn't the only thing. What else was there? So there were the glowing things in the hallway so I'd wake up in the middle of the night I was probably only about six when this was happening and I'd wake up in the middle of the night we had a really big long hallway and my parents were slept at the other end of the hallway and if I woke up in on the bathroom was down that end too and if I woke up in the middle of the night I would have to walk down this long hallway which was filled with these illuminated angels and crucifixes and tombstones and just just things that were filling up the entire hallway that I couldn't get past unless I would touch them. And then as soon as I got past them and I'd turn around and they would just sort of be dissipating like smoke through the air, but it was, they were just glowing. It was, yeah. It's a very unusual experience. I've never heard anything like this before. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that that was, I mean, I don't know. I, I was going to say it was, obviously wasn't a dream because you were waking up having mm. to go and use the bathroom. So this was happening, a physical experience. And it's so interesting, the aspect of you having to touch them and then they would dissipate, as you said. Mm, I, I don't know what it was. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is now I kind of, I, I just don't question things. If things happen, it's like, okay, yeah, no worries. Sort of take it on board and don't tend to go, oh, that was a bit strange. And oh, maybe I need to look into that a bit more. It was just one of the quirks of being me growing up. That yeah. they, these things would just be there. And, and you were very bizarre. little. So mm. you would you were seeing glowing tombstones, angels. Mm. Where do you think you got that imagery from? I don't know. So this is the thing. So we, you know, we were going to mass. So in terms of the crucifixes and angels and those sort of things, they were the traditional things that we would see at mass. Yes. 
The tombstones that I was seeing weren't probably what you would go and see. I mean, they were just a tombstone. There was nothing amazing about them. They were just like headstones, but not probably a bit more Americanized, I guess, just sort of Western, I, I don't really know how Sort to of like a classic it. tombstone, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, there was writing on them. I don't know what the writing said. I just know that it had, you know, like the chiselled out words in them. Okay. Um, but, yeah, they, they, but they were enormous. They were so massive. Did you tell yeah. anybody about what you were seeing? No, 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 because it was just I thought everybody saw that. That was just the things that were in the hallway of a night time. Yeah, yeah. And I've spoken mm. to a lot of people who had experiences in childhood and then just, you know, thought the same as you, that it was a natural part of life and what's the point of talking about it? Everyone must see it. Well, and that that's exactly what it was. It was like, oh, no, that's just normal. That's, you know, that's just what's in the hallway and hence not questioning it because, you know, well, everybody sees that, don't they? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, let's let's now move forward to the main experience that you're going to share with us that took place in 2011, Susan, on your 42-acre mm-hmm. farm. Now, this was a really golden kind of time in your life, wasn't it? You and your husband. Yeah. Tell mm. us about that time. You'd just bought the farm. Yeah, so we, we had just gotten engaged. So we got engaged in the September prior and then – we were looking for houses to buy and then we came across this farm and it was just amazing and we fell in love with it and we decided no, we're going to, you know, jump in the deep end yeah. and buy 42 acres when we're both working full time. But, yeah, so we had got engaged and we were living our dream. You know, we'd always wanted to own this own a farm and here it was presented to us. Lovely. And where was it? Um, it was on the north side of Brisbane, so in between Sanford and Daybright in a little town called, a little township called Cobble Creek. Cobble Creek. Even the name yeah. is evocative, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now, so it was a lovely time, hopeful, as you say, exciting, but then things began to turn ever so subtly at first. What were the first sort of events that happened that made you think, uh-oh? We'd only been in there, it was probably only the second week we'd been in there and it was three bedrooms, so my husband and I had one bedroom and then my husband's daughter, when she was with us, had another bedroom. She wasn't with us at the time and I walked past her bedroom and then I thought, oh, that's not quite right. The light had been turned on and I went in to turn the light off and I noticed that her bottom drawer was open and there was nothing in the drawers. It was I had no reason. We hadn't started unpacking her room at that stage. And I came out and I said, Rob, had you, have you been in Sophie's room? And he said, no, no, why would I be in there? And I said, well, the light was on and the drawer was open. He goes, oh, no, no, it was just you. You must have just left it on. So I kind of went, oh, mm, I don't know about that. But anyway, carried on as you do. And then, you know, a few days later, there'd be another drawer open and we'd go through the same thing again. And then it was just this cycle of me going, oh, you know, I think we've got a ghost. I think we've got a spirit. And he's like, oh, don't be silly. No, we don't. He was a very big sceptic. Okay, that's so that's how it started. Yeah. yeah, with you thinking, okay, I think there's a ghost, but your husband's again shaking his head. Yeah, yeah so. basically going, you're full of it. No, there's not. <laughs> there's no such thing as ghosts. <laughs> well, given Rob's scepticism, I think the next big sort of turning point in the, the spectrum of events is quite funny. <laughs> Um, Now, tell us about what happened because it involved a personal item of Rob's, right? Yes. So we had two dogs and a cat, so my cat, and they would stay through the day. They would be outside and then we'd let them in of an afternoon. And 
we came home and, and we closed the house up as we both went to work and we came home this one particular day and Rob's sleep shorts, his boxer shorts, were out on the lawn. <laughs> Sorry, and it's a little bit funny I, just that that image, isn't it? It's hilarious. <laughs> and I'm looking out the window going, Rob, why are your boxer shorts outside? And he's going, oh, it must have been the dogs. And by this stage, I knew that we had a spirit and I was probably a little bit obnoxious with it, I suppose, in, in terms of I, I thought it was quite a novelty, you know, to have a full-time spirit in our house. And so so we see the box of shorts on the, on the grass and I decide to go to the spirit, if you want my attention, you're going to have to do better than that. And Rob just looked at me and he went, don't joke about stuff like that. And off he walks. So that was that was the end of that. Mm. Then probably a couple of nights later, Rob sits up in bed in the middle of the night and he's convinced that there's a rabbit in the bed. So I, <laughs> I start looking for this rabbit in the bed and then he comes to and goes, oh, no, there's no rabbit. And I went, okay, off we go back to sleep. So why did he think, what was he feeling that he thought there was a rabbit in the bed? That's the strangest yeah, so, thing. Yeah, so he then tells me the next day that he could feel this thing just just really gently kind of gliding from his head right down to his toes and then it would come back up again and then it would go down again and then back up again. And it was just this sensation of this gentle touching down his side, right. which he thought was a rabbit. Sniffing no around rabbit. that it got an no, in from outside or something. Right. So yeah. no rabbits in Queensland, no rabbits on our farm, you know, no, no, <laughs> no rabbits in the house. <laughs> so, yeah, so we, we still joke about that now that this, so, yeah, the rabbits in the house, okay. rabbits in the bed. Yeah. I can see why you joke about it. That it, That's also a first for me on the ghost files. Mm. <laughs> what happened next, Susan? So it just started increasing. So the drawers would be open and, you know, you'd go in, you'd close them, you'd leave the room, you'd come back, it would be open again. So by this point in time, Rob is still not on the same page as me and I'm getting really frustrated because I'm going, no, I know for a fact I did not leave that drawer open. And So I started doing just a few little experiments around the house of trying to, trying to see if I can get the drawers just to open by themselves with, with no, no interference. So, And, you know, there were things in these drawers by this stage. So I had some hand weights and some clutch purses and, you know, scarves and whatnot in the drawers. Mm. So I'd walk up to the drawer and I'd kind of jump on the ground and nothing would happen. And then, you know, I'd try and leave it ajar and then see what would happen. And nothing was happening. These drawers were not opening by themselves. So then I had an experience one night. So everything was still fine. I wasn't feeling too uncomfortable by this stage. Um, And Rob was still, you know, whatever. (laughs) And this one particular night... I woke up and I just had this horrendous pressure on my chest. I felt like I couldn't breathe. I couldn't really do anything. I felt like I had just something, I don't know what, but just something over my hand, over my mouth and my nose um, and just this pressure on my chest that I just couldn't move, couldn't breathe, couldn't really do anything. So it wasn't for very long. Um, It felt like a really long time, but it probably wasn't. And then I, it sort of went and I kind of sat up and I went, oh, and I sat, remember sitting on the edge of the bed for a little while and just kind of gathering my thoughts and going, okay, right, I'm just going to get up and I'm going to go to the toilet and then I'll come back to bed and I'll go back to sleep and it, it'll all be fine. 
so there was a particular area in the hallway. So where our bedroom was, we had like an L-shaped hallway and our bedroom was right at the end just before it turned onto the L that led down to the bathroom. Okay. And where the wall was at the end of the hallway, I just I walked past it and I just – it was cold. It was just this horrible part of the hallway that I didn't want to be in. So I would have to – walk out of our room past this bit. So I would like press myself up against the wall to get past it and into the bathroom. Wow, you were quite afraid then if you're doing that, yeah. It was, Yeah, so this part, it just gave me a really horrible feeling. So from that experience onwards, it started to get quite negative. I didn't want to be alone in the house by myself. I just got a really heavy feeling and just a really um, – oppressed feeling there's not really any other way to word it it was just this real worn down and just not very pleasant yeah yeah it's a typical symptom of a haunted house that oppression mm. and that the draining almost the draining of the life force yeah. out of the people living in there yeah yeah so by this point rob was had come around after the experience of me in, in the bed and then he was sort of like oh yeah i, I don't know but he couldn't really dis- – there was no rational explanation for what had happened to me in the bed. Had you ever experienced anything like that no. before? No. No, never. Mm. No, not not the pressure. <laughs> so at this point you decided, I think, Susan, to put some measures in place. Oh, yes, that's right. So I went out and I purchased some miraculous medals. Just describe what they are for people that might not know. Okay, so it's just a tiny little silver medal. It's no bigger than a 10-cent piece, probably slightly bigger than a 5-cent piece. And it's just got, I think it's a picture of Our Lady on there, Mary. And it's just a holy thing. It's like a, just a Catholic thing, I think. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, I think it is um, a Catholic um, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Technical so term, Catholic I, I thing. I should probably know that. I've been raised Catholic. <laughs> I should probably know. But anyway, <laughs> so I went around and I put them above all of our door frames. I didn't know if this spirit was... Um, good or bad. I didn't. I didn't think it was a demon. I don't, and I still don't believe that. But I, I just didn't know if it was, you know, the good kind or bad kind. So I thought, it, you know, we'll bless the house and we'll do all of these measures, and you know, hopefully it will fix things. Yeah, you know, yeah. help things along. Didn't. Oh, <laughs> so, so the drawers were still opening. Yeah. Yep. So they would just keep opening and opening and you close them and they'd open again, you'd close them. And it was just this constant, oh, which drawer is it going to be today? Wow. Almost, you know, we'd come home from work and... And there's nobody yeah. else in the house when you and Rob no. were at work. No, and, and the animals were all outside so it wasn't even... You couldn't even go, or oh, maybe one of the dogs just tried to get in because they were outside. Not that dogs are known for opening drawers really, I but... Know. Yeah, no. so it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So then one particular night we were watching Sensing Murder and in the lounge room, which is at the other end of the house, not, it wasn't a big house, it was an old shed converted. So, yeah, so we're sitting down watching Sensing Murder. It had almost finished. I remember we, Sensing Murder. It was that yeah. um, show where the psychics had to try and figure out who was responsible for cold cases, things like that, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. So, so it's interesting that you were watching that. I know. So I convinced Rob because he, he quite – enjoys that sort of stuff but he doesn't really buy into it at that point in time so we were watching that and we were just seeing it was nearly finished and this heard this noise and Rob goes what was that and I said I, I don't know I'm, I'm just trying to watch can I just finish watching the show and he's like no no there was a noise and I'm like I don't know I don't know and he then gets up and walks down to our bedroom 
and sorry, the noise was like an old set of drawers is what it sounded like, the ones without the metal rails in them. That's very and specific just, that you could hear yeah, that. It just sounded like timber on timber Okay, is, is the sound, um, just timber on timber pulling. Did you have drawers like that in your house, timber on um, timber? We had timber drawers, but I'm fairly certain they all had rails in them. Okay. But, yeah, we definitely had timber drawers. Um, and so Rob gets down to our bedroom and sees that the bottom drawer of the big unit, so it was always just the bedside drawers at that stage, but this was a very big, heavy unit, had been pulled out and was all the way out. Um, he flipped. He, at that point, was, he, he's just gone, oh, my God, and he couldn't go into the room. Wow. I was, so we stood in the doorway and we said, the Our Father, and I said, okay, well, we need to go to bed, so let's just go and you know, we'll be okay. I, I think we'll be okay. We'll be right. <laughs> and yeah, so that was the turning point for Rob. He was then going, okay, no, there's, what do you know? We do have a ghost. There's something here. And Susan, <laughs> yeah. let me ask you, were you looking back to that moment where you'd said, oh, you're going to have to do better than that? Oh, yes. Yep. Maybe regretfully? Now, oh, definitely. <laughs> and now I think, gosh, why? Why would I say something like that? What was going through my head at that time? to think that that was a good thing to do. Yes. <laughs> mm. But, you you know, you, you're not alone in that. Like I have interviewed people who have given similar sort of pronouncements, so don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think at the time when I did say that too, I thought I was just dealing, you know, I dealt with spirits or I've had experiences with spirits before, so I didn't think anything like this was going to eventuate. And to be fair, it's probably not even all that serious compared to some of the other stories that I've heard. So I'm quite, I feel like I'm quite lucky in that respect. Yes, yes. And so this turning point though, it led you to, if I've got the chronology right, it led you to decide to invite a medium to come to your home and try and shed some light on the situation. Yeah, so I just kept getting just feeling increasingly worn down and I, I couldn't really walk down the hallway without feeling intimidated and feel like there was, a you know, either something right in front of my face or something right behind my back kind of, you know, leaning over me, intimidating me. So, um, and the more we talked about it, because it then became the topic of conversation with everyone in at work, at home, we were just talking about it all the time in the house. Right. So then when it just kept happening and happening and happening and I was feeling worse and worse, we decided that we would get a medium to come out and to give us a bit more information on what this spirit wanted and what we could do to help it along. What did you find out? So we found out... Not a huge amount. He just more confirms the things that were going on were actually a spirit. And we found out that it was indeed a man and he was quite a chauvinistic man, which is why he had a problem with me. But Rob never had no, – Rob never felt the things that I was feeling. So mm. – and that explained explained that. He did throw around a name and a cause of death, but we've never been able to verify that. Okay. And what was the cause of death? He felt that he had been pinned under the water in the creek, which was on the property. Oh, okay. But we were never able to find any information about that. So I can't. Okay. And did he suggest a time frame for this man's life? No. Okay. So yeah, quite hard to verify things when you, you yeah, we're not, yeah, (laughs) But, um, and he told us a little bit about the land and about how the house that he was seeing 
that the man was living in was not the same house that we were living on. He felt he was attached to the land and that there were other spirits, um, Aboriginal spirits roaming around out on the land. Okay. Um, but they would never venture into the house. We, we could never. I, I never experienced anything out in the paddocks. It was just in the house that it was quite. And I preferred to be outside when we were living there because of what was going on. I would spend the majority of my time either out on the patio or out on the other little veranda and or in the lounge yeah. um, when nothing ever really happened. And so, Susan, did things begin to subside after the medium came? Did the medium sort of move the spirit along? He tried to. So the, the area in the hallway that I never liked, he said that that was where the spirit was entering and exiting the house. And he said, he pointed to our bedroom and he said, There's a, that's where it's most active in there. And he said, I'm going to move the spirit back through the passageway and lock the door. He did all of that. And then he said, I'm going to put up four golden pillars in the bedroom that this spirit cannot enter into that space anymore. So he did all of that and we were quite happy with that. And then when he left and we walked out to see him out and by the time he drove down the driveway and then we walked back into the house, both the bottom drawers of the bedside tables uh, were pulled right out. Oh, my goodness. So we basically went, okay, that's it. That we is... took it as just a big up yours. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is heart. chilling. Of just being like, you want to get rid of me? Well, tough, you're stuck with me. So we then decided that we were just not going to talk about it in the house ever again in the hope that it would stop feeding off Your the feed. attention. Yeah. yeah, and the attention that we were giving it. So the more attention we would give it, the more active it became. So yes. we thought, well, the less attention we give it, the less active it will be. So we did, we did that, and then we actually went overseas for three weeks to visit my husband's family in South Africa. And then by the time we got back, um, we um, we were gone for three weeks, so then it was sort of end of October, early November by this stage. We had a friend come out to do some concreting for us, and we later found out that he refused to come into the house because of this particular, he was he's very gifted, I suppose, is the term people use. Did he know about what you no. were experiencing? He didn't. No. Okay. No. So, because we hadn't seen these friends for quite a while, um, and then we'd invited them out so that they could do this bit of work for us. And then his wife and I were sitting on the veranda, and you know, then that that was the end of that. And because we wouldn't talk about it in the house then, then we went to their house a couple of weeks later, and I relayed the story to her, and she goes, "Yeah, he wouldn't come into the house." for okay. that reason, because it was too intense for him. So when you got back from South Africa, were things calmer? I think they were because we'd been it had been stale for the three weeks and then we came back and we'd already said, we'd already started out, no, we don't talk about it in the house. Mm. Yeah, so it had sort of started to ebb away, I guess. Okay. Um, and then we did some work to the house. You know, we sort of reclaimed it, I suppose. We put our touch on things, we you know, repainted, we redid the laundry, we, we made it ours, I guess, and we kind of, as we were doing it, we're making a conscious effort of being, well, this is our home now. This, yes. this is not your home, this is our home and this is going to be our home. Yes, um, and, and there's a saying that what you put your attention on grows. So you were focusing yeah. on yourselves, your family, your future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So, Susan, looking back, how do you think this experience impacted your life and what did it teach you, if anything? taught me to be careful, that's for sure. Because <laughs> mm. as I said, I've always been very open to spirituality and spirits and, and all of that. And it actually forced me to 
put a bit of a block up because I was sort of letting everything in and taking a lot of energy and negative energy on that I really didn't need to. And it sort of made me realise that I had to protect myself in these sort of situations too in that you can't, just because you're getting messages doesn't mean you should be getting messages, I suppose. Yes, I see. Mm. So just, yeah, you're guarding yourself more these days. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We're almost at the end, but I just wanted to mention that the way I got in touch with you was your lovely sister Leanne emailed Mm. me to share how listening to my podcast has sort of paved the way for you and your sisters to finally share these experiences with each other because you'd all been having them and there's 10 siblings. How many sisters? Mm. So there's seven girls and three boys. Wow, it's a huge family. (laughs) (laughs) But you you would all not really talk about what you were experiencing, but now from what I hear from Leanne and from you, the floodgates have opened and this Mm. sharing has enriched your relationships. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, as I said, I had all of these experiences as a child and it turns out that some of my other siblings have had similar experiences, but we never talked about it. And it's only now that we've actually gone, oh, hang on, did that happen to you too? Oh my goodness, that happened to me, you know, and it's, you know, we've got a, a Google Doc going at the moment I think I think we're up to 32 pages now so wow just of all different things that have happened over the years and yeah it's it's really incredible and it's it's just really nice that's really lovely for me to know and on that note what can an encounter with the dead teach us about living that you're never really alone I suppose and that you know there's there's something greater than well for me it just instills that there is something greater than us I guess it's humbling in a way that you we're not just walking the earth alone. and Especially in these trying times, that's quite yeah. a hopeful message. Yeah. I think you've got to have hope. <laughs> I agree. Well, thank you yeah. so much for your time, Susan. It's been lovely to, to speak with you today and thank you for sharing your story with us on The Ghost Files. No, thank you, Karina, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Ghost Files. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.